So as I mentioned a moment ago, we're really privileged to have Martin and Catherine with us today, and I'm really excited that Martin is sharing from God's Word uh, amongst us this morning. So let's be open and soft-hearted to what he has uh, to bring to us through the Bible today. So let's give Martin a big welcome. Thanks, my friend. Hello, morning. Am I on? Yeah, great, excellent. It is an absolute privilege to be here with you. Thank you for letting me uh, gate crash your first Sunday of the year. I hope you all had a good Christmas and are expectant of what God's going to do in and through you in 2024. As Tom said, my name is Martin, married to the beautiful Catherine. We've got two children, two daughters who uh, we left at home with the grandparents based in Canterbury. Uh, I moved there as an 18-year-old for university uh, and they've not been able to get rid of me since. Um, the Lord really arrested my heart when I turned up uh, for university. I was a believer. I think I became a Christian when I was 15 years old. Uh, met quite radically with the Lord at uh, a youth camp. But probably for the first, I'd say maybe three, four years of my Christian life, I didn't quite fully grasp what it meant to be a Christian. Uh, if I'm honest, I, I probably lived thinking that being a Christian was trying to be good and coming, coming to church on a Sunday, and that's what makes you a Christian. And uh, I managed to do the second one of going to church on a Sunday. I didn't do very well at the trying to be good thing. Uh, and so really battled with uh, my walk with the Lord and kind of feeling like I was worthy uh, of being in a relationship with the God of the universe. When I turned up at university, the Lord really arrested my heart, arrested my heart for him, for his grace and for his church. Uh, and so I've been uh, working for the church now for uh, over a decade. I've been uh, an elder in the church for around nine years. I've been leading the eldership team uh, for around seven years. Uh, and it is genuinely, other than being a Christian uh, and knowing Christ, being married to Catherine and being dad to Annabeth and Millie, it's the greatest privilege uh, to be able to be a, a pastor in a local church. I love it. It is a great joy uh, and a great privilege. I'm also a, a relational mission community leader, um, and so as is Tom. And so Tom and I have built a friendship uh, over the last few years as we've kind of journeyed this thing together of kind of alongside helping support our own local church, getting involved in supporting some of the other churches uh, within our relational mission family, and starting to see new churches planted uh, across this nation and the nations. And then I'm also involved in something called New Day. Anyone heard of that? Yeah. Which is great fun. I love New Day. Uh, it's a real privilege to be involved in, in the youth conference that happens each year uh, as well. I'm going to be speaking today uh, from the scriptures. So if you've got a Bible, um, we're going to begin in Matthew 28. That's where we're going to start. But as a word of warning to you, uh, we're then going to jump to Luke 10 uh, as well. So uh, we'll move there too. But Matthew 28, the end uh, of the Gospel of Matthew, it's written by a guy called Matthew, surprise, surprise, uh, and it's telling the story of Christ's life on earth, of when Jesus Christ came. It's the beginning of the New Testament. Before that moment, the Old Testament is talking about life before Christ came, God's creation, God's great plan, God's beautiful, beautiful design for this world, and then how the kind of pinnacle of that is humanity, brought into relationship with Him, brought in to know Him and enjoy the love of God and being able to uh, represent God to the world around. And humanity sadly stuffs it up. We get it wrong. We sin. Sin crashes in. Separation from God happens. And the story of the Old Testament is this beautiful picture of a God that will pursue his people even when they are faithless and foolish. And you read the Bible and it's greatly encouraging to find that so many of God's people consistently are faithless and foolish. I don't know about you, but I find that really comforting and encouraging. And it kind of crescends throughout the Old Testament with these promises of there's a day that's going to come when one 
God himself, the Messiah, the Savior is going to come and he's going to change this story so that actually rather than us being separated from God, we're going to be able to come close to him. That's why when you read through the Old Testament, you see all these strange sacrificial systems and cleansing rites that are going on that's pointing to this idea that outside of ourselves, we can't get close to him. In our own abilities and our own ways, no matter how hard we try, we'll never be good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. But thanks be to God in Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel is not, friends, we've got to be better. This year, 2024, is going to be the year where we are good Christians and then God will love us. If that was our mission, we would all fail horrifically. But the beautiful, beautiful gospel of grace is that God said, he who is good enough, he who is perfect, entered into the mess of this world. He who knew no sin, 1 Corinthians tells us, became sin so that we could know the love of God, so that you and I can know what it is to be adopted into the family of God. This is good news. What we have, what we know as Christians is not just good news, it is the greatest news. That's why the angels came on that Christmas story and they proclaimed, we bring a message of glad tidings and great joy. Why? Because this is the greatest news that we have. And yeah, I don't know about you, but I often find sometimes, if I'm really honest, and I feel a bit at risk here because the reputation of Hope Church Ipswich goes way beyond Ipswich. You guys have a great reputation of being a great church, a model church that follows Jesus, follows Christ, even as you're moving to two services and looking to see something beginning, a, a gathering in the southwest of Ipswich. You guys model this kind of desire to proclaim Jesus to the world around you. If I'm honest, sometimes, despite knowing that this is the greatest story ever told and the greatest privilege to know Christ, I find it quite hard to tell others about him. Is there anyone else here that finds that sometimes? Just, it can be a little bit daunting. Sometimes I feel embarrassed. At worst, sometimes I feel a little bit ashamed in some context. Of, you know, the danger for me is, because I work for the church, the first two questions anyone will ask you when you meet them, firstly is, what's your name? And the second question is, what do you do? I can't avoid it. Sometimes when I say I'm a pastor, there's some people that mishear me say, oh, you're a plasterer. And everything in me wants to say, well, yeah, yeah, I am. I love plastering walls. But there's this challenge that comes about sharing the good news of Jesus. And what I want to look at this morning is actually the great commission that Christ gives, the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus, who has lived the perfect life, modeled exactly what it is to be one who follows the will of the Father perfectly, who has being wrongfully accused of crimes that he never committed, was trialed in an unjust trial, was found guilty of those things he'd never done, was abused and mocked and taken to the cross and nailed naked and for hours hung and then died and was buried. Thanks be to God the story doesn't end there. Because Matthew 28 ends with Christ rising from the grave. Christ victorious, defeating sin and death. And we're going to look at his parting words to his disciples. And what I want to look at this morning is actually this wonderful message that in Christ, we are all his witnesses. That actually our very identity in Jesus is to be his witness. That evangelism or mission or outreach or telling others about Jesus, whatever language you want to use, isn't just for those weird ones in the church that seem to not find things embarrassing and they can happily talk about these things. But actually, it is for all of us. 
And it's not just something we do, it's something we are. That by the grace of God, we are his witnesses. And so let's read together these words in Matthew 28 from verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples, if you know some of the Bible and, and not all, and you don't, Jesus called 12 disciples to himself. He had 12 men that were his dearest friends. He shared his life with them for three years. And one of his friends betrayed him. One of his friends for 30 silver coins was willing to give Christ over. And sadly, he took his own life after that out of the shame and the embarrassment and the guilt of what he had done. And so after Christ has risen, there's only 11. There's no longer 12. And so Jesus gathers those 11 that are left. Uh, and they're in Galilee. It says to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, I just want to stop there for one second, because I think this is a really comforting moment. The Great Commission. We are a Great Commission people. You are a Great Commission people. The reason that you're going to two services and you're going for the southwest of Ipswich and that vision of the compass and God enlarging is because you're a Great Commission people, following the call of God of all that he has. And the Great Commission is kind of this great statement, this call, this, the mission of the church. And it came in the midst of doubt. I love that. I love the kindness of our God. Some worshipped. There's some of us here when you know I'm talking about evangelism and you're like, about time. We should be talking about evangelism every day, every week. I'm going to start some kind of crack course for those to help people really move forward. God bless you. We need you. Most of us, when we hear that there's going to be a talk about evangelism, we, we sink a little bit lower in our seat. You're hoping I don't make eye contact with you. You don't want to be that. Are you? You know, I don't want prophetic words about being an evangelist. It's in the midst of doubt that the Great Commission came. Friends, God sees our hearts. He knows us more than we know ourselves. I do think sometimes we forget this. We honestly believe that we can hide things from God. So we genuinely think that if we just project passion, God will believe we're passionate. If we just project holiness, God will believe we're holy. And if we just project, I do care about the lost, really. And so I'll pray when there's those moments of prayer. Friends, God sees your heart. If there's today, there's doubt, even as you know we're looking at this. And you think, oh, it's going to be great for them, but not for me. I really believe the Lord wants to come and speak to you this morning. He met with them in the midst of worship and doubt. Verse 18, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let me just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word points us towards you. And we thank you, Jesus, that there is no one better than you. Lord, this morning I pray that you would draw us closer to you. I pray, oh God, that you would come and speak, that you would come and encourage, you would come and comfort, and you would come and challenge us, Lord God. We want to be a people that know you, love you, and follow you more and more each day. God, save us from ever getting complacent. Save us from ever getting comfortable where we are. Lead us ever deeper into the waters of your goodness, of your mercy, and of your purposes, we ask. In your name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want to look this morning at the call to be a witness. But before I do that, I, I must start with this. I'm not going to spend long on this, but I, I think it's absolutely essential that this foundation is laid when we're talking about mission and evangelism, which is this. And I think you see a very common trend throughout the Scriptures which is that the people of God are defined by two things. One is intimacy and one is mission. And actually, you must begin with intimacy. 
If we begin with mission, that's where, and I'll talk about it in a little while, but that's where things like evangelism, they become a duty, they become a weight, they become something that we don't really want to do and we're guilt-tripped into it and emotionally blackmailed and all of that kind of stuff. Whereas when we begin with an intimacy with the Lord, when we're those that are drawn close to Jesus and really catch hold of Christ's heart for ourselves and for the world around us, we then find ourselves propelled into the mission of God. And so even in the Great Commission, you see it. Jesus says these words right at the end. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus rose and uh, the women had gone to the tomb, in the Gospel of John, there's the story of Mary and she's there and they see the tomb is empty and they're distraught. They don't know what's happened and they're devastated by it. And then there's a gardener in the garden and Mary's kind of weeping and the gardener says, you know, why are you crying? Oh, they've taken our, our Lord's body. And then Jesus, who is the gardener, Mary hadn't quite realized it was him. He says her name. It's Mary. And immediately she knew it was Christ. And she's clinging to him. She's holding him. She's so happy that he's alive. And Jesus says, Mary, don't cling to me. Go and tell. I think there's this beautiful imagery in that story of what I'm talking about here. It starts with intimacy. Jesus calls your name intimately. The promise of our God is that he'll always be with us and he'll never leave us nor forsake us. To be a Christian isn't to be a good person. It isn't to follow the rules. It isn't to tick off God's holy checklist. It is to be in relationship with the God of the universe. It is to be friends with God. It is to be children of God. And actually, we must ensure that we begin there. We must ensure, friends, that we keep our hearts soft to our Lord, that we want to desire to grow in affection and love for Christ. That's how our mission and our, our witness will always remain Christ-centered and Christ-focused. Anything else, and we'll shift off. We could grow. The church could grow. You could grow to a 1,000 people in the next year, but that doesn't automatically mean that you're walking in intimacy with Christ. Numerical growth isn't the tick list of success. It's one of them. It can be. Healthy organisms grow, but actually what we're looking at here is that it starts with intimacy. Health is found in, as Christ says, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I wonder if for some of us, if we reflect on last year, we realize my focus wasn't on abiding. My focus wasn't on intimacy. Jesus is just wanting to lovingly call you back. Begin with intimacy. But then it flows into mission. When we know Christ and we know his love, he leads us into these things. And so I want to look at just two things, really, that we find uh, in this passage about the Great Commission, about being a witness. The first is that we are all called to be a witness, and the second is that we're all different in how we outwork our witnessing. So let's start with all being called. There's been a great divorce that has occurred in the church and in the Western church over the last probably 100 years or so, uh, when you look at it. And really, there's two dynamics to this. The first is this. There's been a great divorce between discipleship and evangelism. So what that means is that there's some of us in the church that we really feel like discipleship's our sweet spot. I am just called to love people in the church, just to help people grow in their love for God. I'm, I'm, I'm here to be a big brother or big sister or a spiritual mother and father to those in the church to help them grow into the things of God. And so this is my field. This is my responsibility. And there's others over here that are saying, I'm called to the harvest. I'm called to the lost. I've got such a passion for people to come to know Christ. And so what happens is then there's this divide that occurs where we say, okay, well, all those that feel like they've got this pastoral discipleship heart, you go this side. All those with an evangelistic heart, you go this side. Go. Between us will be a healthy church. Now, I think there is a sense of where you will have a primary tilt, but we're all called. We're all called to be a witness. Jesus says here, go and make disciples to all of the 11. 
It wasn't like, you know, one of them stood at the back pushing someone else forward. Oh, he's talking to you, Peter. But this is for you. You go. I'm going to stay here. It was to all. We're all called to it. There's also been this great divide that's occurred with regards to secular and sacred. The Enlightenment that happened hundreds of years ago was this idea of actually there's this difference. And so really the sacred is where we use our mind and the, uh, sorry, the secular is where we use our mind and the sacred is where we just turned our mind off. Faith is nothing to do with logic. And that's flipped into the church where we start to see ourselves either you're called to church ministry or you're called to work in the world. And so if I'm called to work in the world, well, then that's where I am and that's what I do. And if I'm called to church ministry, well, my whole life needs to be church. All I do is spend time with Christians and encourage them. And again, I don't think that that is what we see in the scriptures. We're all called to be those that are in the world and not of the world. We're all called to be those that love the church and are invested and committed to the growing and the, and the fruitfulness and the grace within the church. And so we want to be those that return to biblical thinking, which is this call, this commission, is all of us are called to make disciples. Now, my simple summary, uh, if you know anything of me, and even by now you can probably realize, I'm quite a simple man. Uh, my mind isn't the most complex. Uh, and so for me, my simple summary of what it means to make disciples is this. Helping those that don't know Christ come to know Christ, and helping those that do know Christ grow in their maturity and their love for Christ. And I think you see it in the Great Commission. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, salvation, the demonstration, baptism is the uh, kind of modeling and the, the demonstration of the gospel that we died in Christ and we've been brought back to new life. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Salvation, that initial moment where we come into the kingdom of God, where the Lord saves us through the grace of Christ, takes us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. And then sanctification, it's quite a fancy word, but basically just means about growing up in Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. The Bible says that we'll be changed from one degree of glory to the next. And so we see here, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. But a top tip, if you're reading your Bibles and you ever see the word therefore, normally, if that word exists, that's because they're building on what was said just before. Therefore means, hence, whatever's just been said, therefore. So it's always helpful to look back and see, well, what, what is the therefore? Verse 19, go therefore make disciples. Verse 18, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why are we called to be disciples? Well, it's because Jesus Christ is Lord. Because Jesus Christ is victorious. Because Jesus Christ is alive. And that means hope to this world. That means hope to every situation, every problem, every difficulty, every pain, every heartbreak. Jesus Christ being Lord being alive and being victorious brings hope into that situation. And because Christ is alive, we cannot help but tell the world this great news. It's too good to keep to ourselves. It's too incredible that the God of the universe would come to earth, die a criminal's death, get buried in a tomb, and then rise again. And through that resurrection, the temple curtain that separated the presence of God from the people of God was torn. And suddenly now God is accessible for all. If we place our trust in Christ, it's too good to keep to ourselves. But perhaps you're thinking, well, Jesus says it there. All right, Martin, I can see that. But maybe he was just really overexcited. It, it's anyone like me. I'm one of those people that gets really excited about an idea very quickly. So normally at the start of the year, I'm super like, you know, I'm, I'm like, I am, this is, this is a new me. New year, new me. 
going to enter into these New Year resolutions, no longer going to eat chocolate. I'm going to change all of these things in my life. And probably like by day two, I'm kind of like crawling. And like, this is the worst experience of my life. Catherine always makes fun of me because I introduce traditions to our family. Every Christmas, I introduce a tradition. And she laughs at me because that tradition normally means we'll do it once and then we'll never do it again. Because uh, I forgot. I get overexcited about these ideas. So maybe that's Jesus. Maybe, you know, he's kind of, he's alive. He's been seeing everyone. They're all super hyped. And so Jesus is just overexcited. So he said these words, but he didn't really mean them. Have you ever been around someone who's like that person that they say something and then they've just forgotten that they've said it? That leader that's like, you know, we should do this thing. And then you start doing it. And then they're like, why are you doing that thing? Because well, you told me to. But maybe Jesus is like that. Well, actually, no, he's not. We read uh, in Acts 1, verse 8. So Matthew records at the end of his gospel, Jesus' words, and then Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke, and then wrote the book of Acts. At the start, he writes Jesus' final words. And in part of that, Jesus says this in verse 8. You will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, this theme is continuing. Just before Christ ascends, his parting words to his disciples, again, to all of them, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Do you see that? As the Spirit of God comes upon us, as we are baptized, filled, drenched, immersed in the Spirit of God, we are empowered to be his witnesses. He makes us his witnesses. It's not to do the work of a witness, it is to be my witnesses. What is a witness? Well, this is my definition, again, a very simple one, but uh, hopefully this will help. Someone who's seen, heard, or experienced something and is called upon to provide a testimony or statement about what they've seen, heard, or experienced. So to be a witness of Christ is to see, hear, and experience how amazing Jesus is and tell others about how amazing Jesus is. That's what it means to be a witness. Sometimes we really overcomplicate things. Sometimes we turn it into these kind of, here's a seven-step plan of how to be a witness. Just what God does in your life, what you see God do, what you hear God do, just tell people about it. Just tell people. And not only is it simple, but then God empowers us to do it. He knows how weak and fr like, feeble we are. That he then says, I'll give you power to be able to do the very simple thing I'm calling you to do. That's the goodness of our God. He is so kind to us. So perhaps by now, you'll think, all right, so by the end of Jesus' life, He's making these statements. But maybe it was one of those, like Jesus was different when he first started. Maybe at the end of his life, he just got so kind of influenced by the world around him that his kind of message had changed over the years of his ministry. And so by the end, he's banging on about being a witness and stuff. At the start, he never talked about it. So, you know, we don't have to take it that seriously. Well, again, sadly, you're wrong. In Mark, so we've been in Matthew, who wrote one of the Gospels. We've looked at Luke, who wrote one of the Gospels. Now let's look at Mark. In Mark 1, verse 17, Jesus said these words to the disciples. The very moment, the first time he called them to himself, he said these words, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Right from the start, from the start of his ministry, his first words were, come and follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. It's a weird language, isn't it? It's kind of like, what on earth does that mean? It's this idea of he's called some fishermen to himself. Their life had been fishing going out and catching fish and bringing fish in. And he's saying, just as you've done that there, you're going to do that in the kingdom of God. And actually, that wasn't just if you're here today and you're a, you're a fisherman, then God's calling you to be a fisherman. No, that's for all of us. As a, there's a general call. We see the thread of Jesus' message. We are called to be those that work the plans of God. And Tim, as we were just praying before the meeting, uh, he was saying, I feel the Lord just impressing this, this verse to us as a people. 
And sometimes when we imagine the idea of being a fisher of men, you might imagine that kind of sad, lonely figure sat in the cold and the rain with their anorak up with their little rod. They just sat there all day. I don't know if you've ever done fishing. I've done it once. As you can tell, I'm not a fan. Uh, and uh, you don't catch it. It's just boring. You just sat there. In those days, that wasn't what fishing was like. Fishing was a team sport. It was a teamwork. They'd go out in the boat together. There'd be some that would be responsible for the rowing of the boat or however the boat worked, pushing the rudder thing and the sails catching the wind and off they go. And others pulling in, others doing stuff, cleaning, all that jazz. There was different people that had different roles in the boat, but they were all fishing. And I do believe that this is important for you as a church in this next season. That, that uh, image of the compass expanding... I felt as we were praying that the Lord was saying, actually, the way that that expansion is going to work is by each of you catching a heart for the mission of God for this area and seeing your part to play in that. But we are all called to this work. And so all of us in the boat, it will look different, and I'll come there in a little while, but it starts with us catching that heart and that call. So I've convinced you, hopefully, that Jesus is consistent. From the start to the end, he has called his people to be his witnesses. But the smart here will be saying, yes, Martin, you're right. But clearly, that's to the 12 disciples. That's to the apostles. They were like the guys that were going to be the, the beginning of the church. They were going to carry responsibility for starting churches and leading people. And so, yeah, of course, they're going to be called to that. But Jesus doesn't call anyone else to it. It's just those select few. So it's like the elders here, poor old Len and Tom and Ian and, and Tim and others here that are leaders. They've got to do all the work. And we're all there like, yeah, come on. We believe in you. You can do this. Just come to share on a Sunday how it's going so we can clap. And then we'll just go about our lives. Again, I'm afraid you're wrong. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, it'd be a really depressing thing, wouldn't it, if it was just purely built on like the three, four people in the church. I know these guys a little bit. Um, I know the elders in my church a lot. I'm one of them. And I think, man alive, the church would have collapsed a long, long time ago if it was purely built on the skills and the uh, ability of the elders to do everything. It would be horrific. But thank the Lord that's not what he's called us to. Luke 10, uh, Jesus does this. So let's read the first few verses and then we'll, we'll kind of flow through this a bit more. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him. Hang on. So we had 11. We had 12. We had three. Now we've got 72. Who are these 72 people? I don't actually know. It doesn't ever tell you their names. Where is the 12? You get the list of their names. 72, you don't get that. There's just these random, 72 others is what it tells us here. So Jesus, in his ministry, gathers 72 unknowns. The disciples were probably part of that. I can't do the maths, but however many are left after that, 60? Come on, I can do the maths. Uh, 60 others that God drew in, and, and this is what he said to them. Two by two, he sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. God has called every single one of us. If we are in Christ, it's our very identity, is that we are children of God and we are witnesses of Christ. And we are called to tell others about him. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus sends the 72. He sends you and I. But what I find really interesting is his words to them. He says, the harvest is plentiful. Another way to put that would be the need is huge. Why does he send us all? Because we're all needed. Friends, you've just got to turn the news on and see how broken 
and heartbreaking the state of things are. You've just got to walk out of your house and get into a conversation with at least one other person and realise how difficult and hard life can be for so many of us. And I do think there's a danger for us in our culture. They call it compassion fatigue. But what that means is that some of us, we've stopped watching the news because we just can't handle how difficult and depressing it is. There's never any good news. It's always bad news. My life is hard enough. I don't need to know about the struggles of other people's lives. My family's lives are difficult enough. I don't need to know what's going on across the nation. And so we retreat. Compassion fatigue, we get exhausted by the problems and the needs. We try to help and we realize we can't be the answer to all of the problems. And so we retreat. Jesus is saying here in this passage, he knows that. He's saying, friends, listen, pay attention to that. The harvest is plentiful. The need is great. Don't run away. Don't hide away from the problems of this world. We're called to shine like lights in this crooked generation. We're called to be those that don't put a basket over our light, but we shine for the world. We bring the hope of Jesus to the world around us. And it's interesting, he says, the laborers are, pl- are plentiful. And, uh, sorry, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. I listened to a, a talk just this week, actually. It was, I think it was set in 2019, but they're talking about the state of the UK and, and this nation. And they were saying they reckon that about 3% of the population are born-again Christians. That means that in the UK, there's around 200,000, maybe a little bit more, genuinely great commission on fire for Jesus believers in this entire nation. Now, compared to how many people are in this population, that is a very small number. The laborers are few. So what's the answer? Try harder. Come on. You've got to talk to 10 people this week rather than five. You've got to get more compelling. You've got to get more creative in the way you share the gospel. No, no, no. The answer is to pray. He starts by saying, so pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. Our God is sovereign. He is sovereign over this nation. He is sovereign over the nations. Friends, salvation is a miracle of God. You cannot bring anyone into the kingdom of God. Our responsibility is to be a witness, tell people about Jesus, point them to him. He's the only one. He's the only one that can draw people to himself. And so we want to be those that pray. But what's really fascinating is Christ tells us, what do we pray for? Pray for the harvest. Pray that many will get saved. That's not what he says. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Do you know this? God's plan has always been to reveal himself to others through his people. Now, I don't understand why. I often, I often feel, well, why would you do That's just like, there could have been better ways, surely. Push me out of the way. Get me out of the way, Lord, and I think you'd be more successful in telling others about Christ. But in the mystery of God, this has always been his plan. He wants to use you and I. You are not God's plan Z. He's not worked through everybody else, every other Christian that's in this, in this place, and they've all ignored him or not been able to do it. He says, fine, all right, fine, I'll finally use you. No, you're God's plan A to your neighbors and to your colleagues, to your friends, to those you come into contact with that don't know Christ. You are God's plan A to bring the good news of Jesus. We're all called to be witnesses for Christ. But we're all made differently. I just want to rattle through this very quickly. Let's read uh, the next part of Luke chapter 10 from verse 3. Jesus says, go your way. And behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter first, say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. 
for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its street and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it'll be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Another one of the challenges when it comes to being a witness is firstly, a lack of confidence, many of us. Second one is then, I suppose, what I'd call a Saul's armor approach, which is that there's a one size fits all. The way to be a witness is this way and everyone must do it in this way. I think actually what we see here is this very compelling vision for what being a witness is. The first is to be a witness means that you rely on God. Do you notice how Jesus says to them, carry nothing with you. Go, don't even take your sandals. Don't take your bag. Now, that is, I think, to emphasize the fact that being a witness is a supernatural call of God. We cannot do in our own strength. And I think some of us think we can. Some of us, we've got our comfort zones when it comes to witness. I know if I can move the conversation here, I'm in my sweet spot. So I'm always trying to gently nudge them towards, why don't we talk about science and God? Because I've done loads of reading about that. And so I could answer every question that you've got. Or why don't we talk about you know, what, whatever topic it may be for you or whatever thing it may be. But friends, we're called to be those that go reliant upon the Lord. I think that sanctification, so growing in maturity in Jesus, is about growing in greater dependence upon Jesus. Our world tells us the opposite. Maturity equals greater independence. The kingdom of God is topsy-turvy. Maturity equals greater dependence. Sometimes we look uh, at those in our church, we hold them up. Those that we aspire to be like, actually often when you start to drill down, they're often the most independent. They're just very capable and able to do things in their own. It just seems to come so easy to them. We should be holding in high esteem those that are demonstrating a reliance and a dependence on God, where he pushes them out into the impossible things, where he calls them into things that by nature they'd never step into. Friends, that should be our story. Being a witness is about relying on God. It's been about bringing peace. See how Jesus says, as you go, say, peace be upon you. Now, uh, at the call conference, Lena spoke. I found her talk really fascinating. And she was talking from a Middle Eastern perspective. And she was saying, well, actually, that's the way of saying hello. Peace be upon you. Often we, uh, on the West, we turn that into this big, deep meaning um, around it. But really, it's just a, a general hello and saying hello. So, oh, it's really fascinating. But it's interesting that then it says, and let your peace rest upon them. And I do think that there is a sense of where we're called to be peacemakers of the kingdom. Blessed are the peacemakers, is what Christ said in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Called to be those that bring peace into this world. Friends, we're living in an age that lacks peace. It has been increasingly defined by anxiety. The mental health pandemic is what they've projected coming out of COVID. And you can see it, particularly in the younger generations. There is this growing dynamic of where there is a lack of peace. We can bring the peace of God to this place around us. Witness isn't about proving that you're right and they're wrong. Can I say that? If there's anyone here and your mission when you get into conversations with those that don't know Christ is to show them how stupid they are, then you're missing it. It's to show them how loved they are. And so we can do that in lots of ways. Smile. During COVID, I made it my mission to be a smiler. I mean, I'm quite a smiley person anyway, but I just decided my mission is to be a smiler um, because I realized that during COVID, we were being trained to see each other as a threat, yeah? So anyone's coming near you, it's like, danger, danger! 
as I thought, I'm going to smile. And honestly, the, the, the faces that people would pull at me as I smiled at them as we walked along, they'd like cross the road to avoid me. They'd, they'd run away from me. But I thought, I'm going to make it my mission. Just by smiling, I genuinely think we will stand out in this age. People don't smile anymore. It's like the tube in London has kind of now just taken over the UK. You can't talk to anyone you don't know. You can't smile at people you don't know. My wife, Catherine, drives me mad sometimes because she's so amazing at talking to people that she doesn't know. Just stopping in the street and talking to people. And I'm like determined to get wherever we want to get to. Friends, we want to be the peace bringers of Christ into this world. There's two key ingredients when it comes to being a witness that are true for all of us. There's different ways about working it, but there's two key ingredients. First is we must tell people about Jesus. And the second is we must model Jesus to people. Now, there's this quote that kind of has seemed to... um, catch fire across the church over, the, over recent years, which is this one. I think it's uh, claimed Augustine said it, but, you know, preach Christ and if you have to use words. And many of us are like, yes, that's like my life motto because I don't want to talk about Jesus. So basically, just by living my life, by osmosis, people will find Jesus, right? So we think just by the fact that I'm in the supermarket, I'm preaching Jesus because here I am, the way I pick my chicken, people will be like, wow, God's real. And we avoid ever talking about Christ. Actually, friends, we are called to be those that proclaim Jesus. We see it. Jesus says, tell them that the kingdom of God has come near. We must use our words to talk about Jesus. We must be those that are bold with our declarations of the gospel of God. To preach the gospel doesn't mean to do the four points thing of God created the world and then we stuffed it up and then uh, Christ came and now you've got to decide. To preach the gospel is to share testimony of how God's at work in your life. To preach the gospel is to share about how the challenges that you're facing and how you're knowing God with you. I thought that word towards the end of our worship time was brilliant. God either gives you uh, the uh, way through, the deliverance from the situation you're in or the grace in it. Friends, I would say in our age, we need to grow at telling the world about how Christ gives us grace in trouble. Because we live in a time where we're trying to escape trouble. The pursuit of an untroubled life defines our age in many ways. When we're going through difficulty and we stand out, we're not grumbling, we're not losing hope, and we're not retreating and hiding. Friends, that proclaims the gospel. Use your words. Talk about Jesus. Tell people what he's doing in your life. But also model it. Because I think there's this other camp in the church where we're really good at using our words to tell people about Jesus, but our lives reflect nothing of him. So we've got an answer to every question. Any question you want to ask me about Jesus, oh, I can answer that. I could give you all the head knowledge you want. Look at my life and the destruction that has followed me. Look at the way that I make people feel when I'm harsh and I'm condescending and I'm dismissive. And I think that there's this important dynamic here as well where we're called to be those that are relational. You see it, Jesus says, go to a house, Remain there. Don't treat people as a project. Evangelism shouldn't be, you know, we're going to have a chart up. The elder's going to put a chart up in the office here. And all your names will be on there. And you get a tick for every person you lead to Jesus. And at the end of the year, you'll win a golden ticket to the Encore Cafe downstairs. You can have anything you want. That's not what evangelism is. Evangelism is we love people. Friends, there are thousands of people in this town that that are outside of Christ and are heading to hell. That's where they're heading. That's, that's the horrific reality of the situation that we live in. That's what Jesus says at the end. It'll be better for them, as in the day of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's talking about the judgment of God that came upon that place. 
Friends, rejecting Jesus means receiving judgment. That's what the Bible tells us. It's difficult to hear, but it's true. But we are God's mission of grace to the world, to tell people that there is hope. That you don't have to just know judgment of God. You can know salvation, not just from God's judgment, but into God's love. We must proclaim this. This must arrest our hearts. Don't retreat from that. There is a move in our churches at the moment in the West to downplay the spiritual dynamic of the things of God. Materialism has broken in massively. We don't talk about heaven or hell much now. We're afraid of offending. We're afraid of getting cancelled. Friends, scripture is very clear. If you don't know Christ, you're making a decision to not follow Christ. You will not follow him for all of eternity. Sin separates us from God. That's what death is in the Bible. And when you physically die, that leads you into the ultimate spiritual death of separation. Unless the good news of Jesus breaks in. Unless you know Christ as Lord and Savior. And so my charge to us this morning is as you step into this year, as you step into these new activities, God is calling each one of us to be a witness. We're all called to it. But walk in your lane. Run in the track that God's called you to. Tell people about Christ. Model Christ. Be a peace bringer. Rely upon him. Be relational. Model these things to the world around us. And let's see what God wants to do. Why don't we stand together? Just where you are. Just, why don't we just close our eyes? If you're new to church, you've not been in church before, um, we're just going to give some space for God to move. We genuinely do believe that Jesus is alive. We genuinely do believe that he's a God that speaks to us. And the reason I've asked people to close their eyes is not because God's strange and he only moves when our eyes are closed. It's just because if you're anything like me, you'll get very easily distracted in this moment if your eyes are open. And I do sense as though the Lord wants to come and speak to each one of us. As we were worshipping, I felt the Lord give me a a picture. And it was uh, of the words... Hope Church. Uh, And it was like, almost like on your building, you know, the Hope Center. You can see it from from far away. And then it was almost like the picture zoomed in. And as it zoomed in, it suddenly became that that name was made up of individual pictures. You know, like those kind of, um, do you know know what I mean by that? You can see the big and then when you zoom in there. And it was of your faces, um, of each of you that would call Hope Church your home. And I just felt as though the Lord was saying that actually there's a new season coming for you as a corporate people where God's going to use each of you in a fresh way to build his church. That evangelism, sometimes we can slip into thinking we're an evangelistic church because we've got four or five people that are really evangelistic. We've got 30 people on our Alpha course. Wow, one person invited all 30. That's amazing. I mean, wow. But what about the rest of us? God's going to start to lead us to a place where he's going to make you fruitful. And fruitfulness doesn't automatically mean what you think it means. Again, we've swallowed what this world teaches us. We think that where Jesus says, abide in me, you'll bear much fruit, means we'll be really successful. Whatever we do will go well. And whoever we talk to will become a Christian. Actually, no, fruitfulness is about faithfulness. Obedience is success. We just want to be those that grow in following the command of Christ. That we would know that he has all authority in heaven on earth and that he's sending us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so let's just hold our hands out. If you're a believer here today, why don't you just hold your hands out? And Lord, I want to pray for my friends. I want to thank you for this wonderful church. I want to thank you for all that has been, and I want to thank you for all that will come. But right now, in this moment, I ask, Lord, that you would come.
Jesus that promise in Acts chapter 1 that we will receive power to be your witnesses. I just ask right now for the power of God to come upon us. That beautiful promise of the outpouring of the Spirit. I thank you, Jesus, that you are now glorified and your Spirit has now been poured out. I thank you that we live in the age of the Spirit where now all peoples, young and old, rich and poor, can know the power of God. And so I just ask, come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Just now sense that there's, there's some of you, you just, you just know you're feeling the presence of God upon you, even as I just prayed that really simple prayer. You're just sensing God's presence upon you. Can I just ask you just to raise your hand? You just know God's doing something in you at the moment. Can I just ask you to raise your hand, please? Thank you. Bless you. Just keep those hands up. Keep those hands raised, please. I just sense as though there's, there's something in this. I believe that for you, those of you that have just raised your hand, the Lord's calling you specifically right now. I sense there's maybe dreams that God's putting on your heart or people that God's burdening you with. And God's just calling you in this moment to himself. And so, Lord, I want to pray. Maybe if, if you're around them and you're a believer and you're happy to, maybe you could just lay hands on those that have just raised their hands. And let's just start to pray for them. Let's start to pray that God would lead them ever deeper into all that God's got. So if you if just keep your hand raised if that was you, and then some friends are going to come around you, pray for you. Let's begin to do that. Let's pray that God would send them. God would send them this year into that. And then we're going we're gonna to worship together. The band are going to lead us uh, in some songs to delight and celebrate in our Christ, wherever they want to take us. But I just want to encourage you, if you know that today you need power to be his witness, ask someone to pray for you. Grab someone that you know or come and grab someone from the front or if there's a prayer team, I don't really know. Um, but let's just, let's pursue our Jesus in this moment. Let's pursue his plans, his purposes and his power. And Lord, I pray that there would be a release across this church into a new season of all that you have. Amen.